Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I am going to help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to another episode of TribeCast. Super pumped this morning to have one of my mentors on the show, Alex Hormozzi. Alex, thanks for carving out a little time and joining us. Well, first off, I'm honored that you would call me a mentor. I feel like you are my mentor in many ways of life. So <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Alex. He is the founder and CEO of Gym Launch. He has gone from zero to $50 million run rate in less than two years. Super, super impressive by anybody's measurement. He coaches over 1,500 gyms on four different continents. You can include the Iron Tribe brand gyms as some of his loyal and faithful um, coaching clients. He's married to his wife, Layla. They are actually co-CEOs, and so not only do they have an amazing marriage, which we'll get into, but they run and grow this business together. And on top of all of that, he is the most single-handed, the most jacked guy that I know in my sphere of influence. So, Alex, so excited to have you on the call. For those who don't know you, uh, I gave a brief introduction. Why don't you just talk about kind of uh, where you are and um, how you got there at the young age of, what are you? 29, 30? He knows these days. Yeah, I, I turned 30 in, in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm about to cross the big hump um, and officially be an adult. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it, all, it all started for me um, when uh, basically graduating college, uh, I did two years of management consulting because that was kind of the, the path that was before me, you know, doing the right thing. Um, I didn't, a lot of times the entrepreneurial uh, story, I feel like that's conveyed through media is like, you know, you have to uh, struggled in school. And like, if you didn't start a lemonade stand when you were six, if you're not a real entrepreneur, um, and none of that really resonates with me because I didn't really have any of that. Um, but I knew that I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. And everybody I worked with said, dude, if you don't open a gym, like I'm going to open one for you because all I talked about was, was fitness. So after two years of misery, I said, you know what, I'd rather not be miserable and at least do something that I enjoy. And so I, um, emailed 40, 40 people who looked successful in the gym space. And one of them got back to me and he was in California and I was in Baltimore, the DC area. And so I drove across the country, packed my bags and sold my condo and was there 36 hours later. Um, and the guy was a little bit taken aback. <laughs> um, but I ended up uh, kind of staying at his gym for 12 weeks, kind of just getting a feel for it. Just, I, I asked if, you know, I could just like kind of shadow for work for free. And he said, sure. Um, and so that's what I did. And, uh, 12 weeks later opened Huntington beach, um, uh, which is the first location I had slept on the floor there for nine months. And then every six months after that, I was able to open up uh, a new location off the cash flow until we had six locations. Um, and then, uh, sold those when my mom got sick. Uh, there's a series of things that happened in that period of time, but, um, that was the, the short story of it. And while my mom was in the hospital, I was uh, in that area and a friend of mine's like, Hey, can you help this gym out? I know that you're good at this, you know, at just making gyms work better. I said, sure. And, uh, after a short conversation, uh, it became evident that they didn't have a lot of the systems that I thought everyone had in place. And so uh, we ended up doubling that guy's gym in a week. His name's Josh Price. He's still a client of ours. And um, I was like, I wonder if anyone else would want to, you know, be interested in something like this. And um, it turned out a lot of people were. And so that was kind of the beginning of Gym Launch as a done-for-you service where we'd fly out um, to the gym, you know, market, we'd sell, we'd show the fulfillment methods, how to, you know, how to sell and flip people into long-term memberships, all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and then realized quickly that that was not a scalable model. We had six to eight sales guys flying out to new gyms every month. So six hotels, runner cars, uh, you know, ad spend, uh, like just all of these things. And I was like, man, this is really becoming logistically complex. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was like, I wonder um, if we could do it a different way. And so uh, what ended up happening is my wife, Layla, she's lost 100 pounds and uh, she ended up doing fitness competitions. And so I was like, you know what? what if we were to just sell weight loss direct to consumer, you know, and kind of not do the gym thing anymore. And so we tried it and it started working and I said, okay, so I have all these gyms that are supposed to launch the next month. How about I just, you know, we're, we're getting out, you know, we're getting out of the gym business. I'm just going to sell all my secrets. And, uh, and so I got on the phone with the first gym and uh, I said, you know, Hey, we're not doing this anymore. He's like, dude, we really need it. And this was actually Chris Barnett. Who's also still a client. Um, and uh, he said, you know, I put six years of my life and all my life savings into this. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. Like I really, really need this. And I said, okay, fine, but I'm not flying out there to save you if, if, if you, if you can't sell. Um, and so anyways, I named a price that was really high because I didn't want to do it. 
Um, but he said, okay. And I was like, holy cow. Um, and then I had seven more phone calls that day and all of them said yes. And I was like, I guess we're in the, in the gym done with you space now. <laughs> and that was kind of the birth of gym launch as it, as, as, as it exists today. Um, before kind of the next uh, pivot, which was hybrid, which is the, the new kind of direction that we've added to make the facility even more profitable. So that is hopefully I encapsulated that as short as I could. <laughs> um, well, and really, yeah, and you got it to the point where the business really took off and started growing. And I want to definitely talk about that, but I want to just point out some great things you brought up just in that quick overview. Number one, you and I have a lot in common. I want to, I, and now on an operate five of operated six, I've had eight, I've had 10. I know what it is to operate and own multi-locations yeah. just like you do. And also know what it's like to start with that one location. And like, I mean, this is it. Like everything is riding on this one thing. But I really want to back up to you laid out a not typical entrepreneurial path. And I had the exact same experience when I grew up and went to school and like the only thing I knew to study was exercise science. Cause the only thing I liked to do was work out. I had no idea how I was going to monetize that. I didn't know the word monetize then I knew biceps, triceps. Um, and ultimately I just followed my passion. Like what is the one thing in this world I want to do? It's like, I want to get people in shape. I started training almost as a default. Like it was 98. There wasn't much personal training going on. And I kind of stumbled my way into business and I had just never really considered myself an entrepreneur. I wasn't, you know, I didn't make great grades. I wasn't one of those guys who, you know, always said he was going to go do this big stuff. I just followed my passion. It sounds like you're a very, and it had a very similar yeah, path. I, um, I, I guess with the, with the story that the typical entrepreneur, um, a lot of them, they say that like, you know, they flunked out of school or they couldn't like, I, I actually studied really hard in school. Um, and so I, I got good grades. I, um, I graduated Vanderbilt in three years. Um, I, you know, I took the GMATs and scored above Harvard and scored. And so I was, really proud of those things, but, um, and those are all typically non-entrepreneurial characteristics. Um, and so I think for anyone who, who's listening to this and is like, not sure if like you have the, the grittiness, I think it comes down much more to a decision than it comes down to characteristics um, of whether or not you want to do it. Or not. Hmm. And so the decision is just, this is the path I'm going to do it yeah, no matter I what I'm going to make it work. Aspect, Cause I knew that, I mean, I, I'm sure that you had this moment for me. It was, I remember it was the first night I actually slept in the facility and it was two weeks before we opened. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I just signed a lease for $5,000 a month and I, <laughs> I had never made five. Like, I mean, I hadn't sold a single person into, uh, into fitness in person ever. And I moved to a part of the country I'd never been to. So I had no following. I had no friends. I had no network in Huntington Beach, California. I was from Baltimore. And so I was like, oh God, this has to work. <laughs> um, and I think I, I think it was because I only had enough money for uh, one more month's rent on my five-year lease that it was, it was very much do or die. And so um, it, it ended up working out. I think in long-term, if I were to think about it, I would, I would definitely not have advised, knowing what I know now, I would not have advised myself to do it. It ended up working out, but I had no idea. I mean, like you said, the word monetization. Like I didn't even, I didn't know what any of that was, you know, marketing, like I didn't, I didn't know the concept. I even had turned no. down a job three months earlier because it was a sales job. And I said, I'm not a salesman. Um, and so, it, yes, there's a lot of limiting beliefs that have to be broken. And like your identity needs to change according to the needs of the business that you have. Um, and that has to happen in a very rapid pace, especially in the well, it's funny to hear you say you're not a salesman because you're probably one of the most accomplished salesmen that I personally know. Um, and obviously that's something you've developed and grown in. Uh, but I want to talk about one other thing. You said you emailed 40 guys who were successful. So very early on, you knew you didn't have the skills, but you knew other people out there did. So you found who was successful. And out of 40, one took you under their wing. And I have to believe that accelerated your path. Oh, 100%. I'm such a, So I actually got that from the consulting world. So when, in management consulting, you always talk to experts to, to get conclusions because they've already sifted through the majority of the information. So it's kind of like a leveraged information hub. And so you can acquire not only um, information, but the right information in the right sequence um, with somebody who's an expert. And the difficult thing is knowing who is an expert when you don't have the perspective from which to judge. And so that's the difficulty of the, the mom who comes in to try and you know, get in shape and she talks to 10 trainers and one says, you have to eat, you know, no carbs. Another guy says, you have to eat carbs. Another one says, you just need to eat clean. Another one says, count your calories. And this is, it's IFYM, like, you know, like all, all these different methods and they don't have the perspective in which to judge. 
And so I think that that's where um, like my single wish in life is that people describe me as wise. And so that, that I have continued increases in discernment so that even when I don't have all of the, all of the information, I can make a judgment on character on whether or not I think someone might be good at what they say they are good at. Um, and I think for people who haven't, who aren't there yet, the easiest way to do that is see if that person has done what you are trying to do first. And secondly, at the very least, taking people from where you are to where you are trying to go. Um, and so those are probably the two biggest litmus tests that I would use um, if you don't have the information base to make a decision on who is a good source of information. But having an expert to walk you through and lead you through that process in sequence is something that is invaluable and certainly sped me up way ahead of where I would have been otherwise. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue. We talk about on this show all the time, and one of the taglines is find your tribe. Like you've got to be running with people around you who have similar mindsets, similar goals. And a lot of that is who you pay to have around you to uh, accelerate your process. So how did you develop yourself from very little business experience to you know, running a $50 million a year organization with a huge head count? I mean, the growth has been staggering. And I know that that's because you and Layla have committed to continue to grow yourselves. So I'd probably say the, the, the most famous core tenant that we have is grow or die. And that's the one that probably our whole staff loves the most, but it's um, just this continued belief that if you are not growing, you are, you are stagnating or declining. And they're in, in, within the world that we know in the environment, biology, whatever, there is no such thing as stagnation. You're either growing or dying. Um, it's one way or the other. And so uh, for us, it's actively reinvesting um, constantly. I mean, we, are, I mean, right now, I think we probably have five or six paid mentors that we take different pieces from. In the beginning, you have to be more judicious. Um, I think in, in the beginning, you read books. I would say the next level is you start taking courses to acquire specific skills. And then, you know, the next step after that is usually finding mentors who have done what you are trying to do. Um, the fastest one is starting with the mentors, but it typically is the most expensive. Um, but I have taken out earlier on in my career, I took loans out to buy mentors because it fed me up so, so much. And I would say that the speed that you were referencing is a testament to that, um, is that we can't buy, the only thing that can actually buy time um, is information. And so people are like, you can't buy time. You can buy time by speeding up the outcome that you were going to have, which if it normally takes someone, let's say 20 years to completely dominate a marketplace, um, if you have the right information and you know what the path should be, or you're 90% of an ideal path, then that might only take three years. And so in some ways that information advantage gave you 17 years of your life back. Um, and so, yeah, that is, that's at least my view on, on personal development, but we spend, uh, we, tr at this point, we try and find things to spend money on. Um, and we're just trying to look at things that we think have a high ROI for time invested. Um, and one of the, one of the topics that I love the most, I hope I don't go on a big segue here, but it's just. Um, we call it talent stacking, but it's basically the concept that the, the, the skills that, that you need to have in order to make your first dollar in a, a new endeavor is not just one skill. So if someone's like, that guy is a good business person. Business is not a skill, right? It's a series of many smaller skills that add up to that first dollar, right? And so people will buy a course on copywriting thinking that they are going to now make money, but just copywriting will not make you money. Right. And if you just know how to run traffic online and place ads, that will not make you money. If you just know how to build landing pages, that will not make you money. If you know how to make good offers alone, that will not make you money. If you know how to work leads to get them to schedule a show, that will not make you money. If you know how to sell that will not make you money. But if you know all of those things, then the sum of the parts is significantly greater than the single individual skill. And that is where you have like the skill of rainmaking, which is where you've tied all of these things together in order to make lots and lots of money on a disproportionate return on your time. And then as you continue to grow, you obviously delegate those individual skills where you're overlooking the whole process, which allows you to scale further, correct? And I would even say that the ability to transfer skills is a skill in and of itself. And then the mm -hmm. ability to continually manage to, to motivate and encourage a team and align them with a vision we call leadership, but leadership is many smaller skills, just like businesses. And so, um, yes. And a lot of times it's like, I can't find a good salesperson, right? That's like, that would be a typical symptom, um, of a cause where someone says, I can't find a good salesperson. There's no good salespeople, which we all know is false. Right. Um, but instead it's, they don't reframe it as I lack the skill to find hire, train, and manage a good salesperson. And then, and then the secondary is, and do the same for a sales team. 
Hmm. All right. Well, before we leave this topic, give us an idea of what five to six mentors look like. Like what areas of your life are you currently receiving mentorship on? Um, we have um, one performance coach um, we have that we both work with. We have one uh, relationship coach uh, that we work with. We have one, um, gosh, we have, oh, yeah, I mean, we're in uh, Brussels inner circle. So we have that. That's more of a networking mm-hmm. thing. Um, we have, and what's, what's actually evolved from those types of networking things is that I think that we're at the point now where um, it's been facilitated by our reputation. Um, that we get invited to a lot of masterminds to guest speak, but I almost feel like I'm a part of sure. that. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So like, I would say like half of them are, I, I currently don't pay for them, but would pay for them. Um, and the other, other half are, are paid for. If I can take one quick segue, I think the most valuable thing um, in terms of acquiring skills uh, is I actually paying for one-on-one tutoring um, has been probably the biggest ROI I've gotten. So most of the coaching that we're paying for is all Mm one-on-one. And I think that the speed with which you acquire the skills is so much faster. So, I mean, when I didn't know how to run ads at a higher level, I reached out to somebody who was a guru and they said, I don't sell my time. And I said, everyone, everything's for sale. It's America. Um, And so I just kept increasing the price until eventually he said, yes, I'll do it for that. And then that's what I paid um, to have an hour a week of time where he would walk me through what to do and how to make the adjustments. And then more importantly, the, the decision-making process of why we were doing what we do so that I could acquire the skill as well. And so that all in all, I think that mentorship period only cost me like seven or $8,000, but compared to uh, you know, a $2,000 course, my ROI was significantly higher than I would have had. And On so, top of all the trial and error that would have gone along with that, right? God, and all the wasted marketing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we'll talk about body later, but do you have a coach when it comes to your fitness and nutrition? Oh yeah. I've got one of those too. See, I'd be like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess there's four that we pay for that I can think of. Yes. Um, okay. Dr. Cashy covers all of my, um, covers all my nutrition stuff. Okay. Uh, recent Instagram post you made really caught my attention. Um, other than the one where Arnold's flex, you know, admiring your biceps. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but you talked about a mastermind that you were at pretty early on in this whole process where yep. you guys were doing well, you were doing about a $4 million run rate to employees. Yep. And you walked into this room where you were the smallest business you presented and really had your entire paradigm shifted. Um, kind of walk me back through that process and how that's led to what you've done over the last two years. It was one, I actually, you can't see, but I actually have goosebumps right now. Um, it was one of the most impactful two days of my life. And there was, there were so many beliefs that were broken in that weekend. Um, which is why I think one of the biggest, the single biggest value of joining a network, um, is seeing other people who are doing so much better than you and realizing that they too are human and that, you know, they put their pants one you know, on one leg at a time, just like you do. And it makes, it makes the unbelievable believable. And so when we walked into this room, I think the, I mean, Russell was there and I think he was doing 50 million a year at the time or th- no, I think he was, he was either 30 to 50. I can't remember. Um, so when you say Russell, Russell Brunson with yeah. ClickFunnels. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ezra Firestone was there. I think he was doing uh, 30, 30 million a year at that time. Jason Fladlian was around the same, same thing. And he had had that single day of commissions, which was like $9.2 million in a single day of sales, which is just crazy. And that was his actual take home. I think they did like 27 million in total revenue that day. Um, but anywho, there was these titans of industry that were there and there was only 10 people there. And we somehow, Russell was like, I want you guys to come. I think you guys will, you know, provide value. And so it was nerve wracking getting up there because all these people were, you know, significantly, smart, you know, you know, my perception of them was that they were significantly smarter than me and more experienced, et cetera. And, um, you know, we presented our stuff and, uh, one guy was like, it was actually Alex Tarfin. Uh, he's like, you guys are sitting on a hundred million dollar business. You don't even know it. And then Jason right after that said, if you guys don't, if these numbers are real and you don't scale this thing to the moon as fast as humanly possible, he's like someone else who is bigger will take everything you have and then distribute it. And so it, it basically threatened this thing, this small little thing that we had had, you know, that we had built. Um, and so it kind of thrust me back from being comfortable and kind of content because Layla and I were newly married at the time. So we had been, we were married a few months earlier, you know, we, and everything was kind of just going in the right way. And we were, we had, we had a tiny, you know, small business, two employees doing 350,000 a month on the kitchen table. 
and we, you know, life was good. I was two, you know, two months mm-hmm. in the marriage. Like I was enjoying myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that, uh, just immediately changed. And so he followed up with me afterwards and said, um, when it feels easy is when you need to go hard. And I've always remembered that because it instilled this huge, in some way it created like a vacuum inside of me, um, of, of insufficiency, um, that I felt kind of silly that I, I, I was, I was honestly ashamed is that probably the best word I was embarrassed and ashamed of the fact that I was content. And, um, and so that was kind of what that conversation did for me. And I think that that sense of urgency hasn't left. Uh, and part of it is definitely driven by fear and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it is definitely still driven from a place of fear sometimes, uh, because the bigger, the thing that you build is the more you fear losing it. Mm. Yeah. What a great, great word. Um, when it seems easy, what was again? Say it again. (laughs) Yeah. When it feels easy is when you need to go hard. Because the temptation is just to relax, right? And coast. Like, this is what we've been working for. We've got all this yeah. margin, and right? Okay, so from that point forward, I mean, you really put the hammer down. That's when I met you. That's when we came on board. I've seen you evolve from, you know, just a small handful of team to what's your headcount now? So we have uh, 80. So we, we transitioned how we, so we basically, um, I mean, I could even walk you through this, but we, uh, you may have noticed, but we, we basically got rid of the majority of our customer service department um, on the gym launch side. And so we actually like almost mm-hmm. 45 employees. Um, and so, and then we replaced them um, with coaches that were gym owners. And that was probably one of the single best decisions we've made as a business. Um, but it was definitely hard, you know what I mean? Letting, letting people go and it's really no fault of their own. It's just, it's just a restructuring. And that's part of the, you know, it's part of the business and the bigger you get when you hear these, you know, huge companies who have 3,000, 5,000 people get laid off. Um, there are just sometimes strategic decisions that, you know, the company does something and the market changes or conditions change and you have to adapt, you know, it's grow or die. And so um, we have probably about 25 contractors now. So I would say our, our headcount, if you include contractors, is probably around 115. If you don't include them, we're probably around 80. So before the restructure, what have you gotten up to? And we're all 100% were W2. Okay. So 100% were W2 employees at that point. All right. So walk us through from a leadership perspective. And I know this is, there's so much to this question, but how have you and Layla been able to scale yourself through a team? And let me point out, you're not at a central headquarters where you're seeing these guys every day. You're mm-hmm. a virtual company, which to me requires even greater leadership skills. What have been the primary things you guys have done that allow you to do that so quickly? So... First, I can comment on the virtual piece. Um, the difficulty, so they did an extrapolation of uh, virtual companies and growth rates. And if your company is sub $1 million, uh, it is a 10% handicap to be virtual. If you are um, up to $30 million, it's a 5% annual handicap on growth. And then once you are over $30 million, there's no handicap. Because essentially at that point, you are a distributed organization. Most most businesses that are over that level have multiple offices anyway. And so they are already kind of dealing in a dispersed uh, workforce, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where the, the advantage of in-person disappears. For us, because of the speed of scale, it never made sense to try and find an office because within two years, we went from you know two employees to 100 plus. And so how, how, how would I have known what, what lease to sign 24 months? You know what I mean? I would have no idea. Um, and so that's part of it. In terms of the uh, leadership component, I think having a virtual organization has forced us to be so much more deliberate in our communication cadence, um, which is one of the things that I wish I could, I wish I could have every single you know gym owner that we that we work with be inside of our organization because the feedback that I get from all the coaches is, I really feel like I understand everything that you guys have talked about so much more now that I'm in it because they are you know they're within the company and so they see them hmm. do the one on ones. We do we follow the the agenda for those one-on-ones and we have the, the weekly meetings with each team and we do our culture meetings monthly and we do leadership trainings twice a month. Like we do all of those things that we say um, and that you need to do that because you don't have water cooler talk or, Hey, you got a seconds. We don't have that. And so we're more deliberate, but in some ways I think it drives productivity because you don't have nearly the amount of interruptions that would normally occur. And a lot of times employees will even self self diagnose in a, in a corporate environment that, I'm going to take the day off so I can get work done, which is kind of backwards. <laughs> like I'm not going to go into the office so I can get more done, which is 
kind of how we run, you know, we run the business, but it's very much performance based in that sense, because no one is measured based on effort because we can't see it. And the only thing we see is what's mm -hmm. produced. Yeah, that's, I, I didn't know about those stats. That's really interesting is as you scale, the advantage disappears, but it makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, one, I, I just think I'm just fascinated by this particular uh, encounter that you had, because I know you like me are a admirer of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the last conversation you and I had about that, you were trying to strategically figure out how you could get Arnold to write the foreword for your book. And you were working a bunch of different angles. And I admired how you went about it, because not only did you make that connection, but I would venture to say, based off your Instagram photos, you guys are like friends now. I mean, walk me through how you did that. <laughs> I think Arnold knows my name. So <laughs> Which to me is our, you know, a huge victory. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because if I think I look in retrospect that what I was thinking of, like, it just shows growth because the mindset that I was thinking of, because I mean, this process of me trying to connect with Arnold is almost, it's been almost two years um, from when I originally had the thought of wanting to do it until us actually, you know, connecting. And so um, he, for me, just like you, he's, he's been the ultimate idol. And I think it's because I, I see him as a true champion um and as living the american dream and so it's kind of both things so he's conquered every every domain he's been in he's he's risen to the highest level um and he's done it with the chips stacked against him you know he couldn't speak english and yet he was still able to become a champion uh bodybuilder and then go into movies where english is definitely important to be able to speak um and was able to do that and then uh you know after winning at uh you know the bodybuilding and then uh, in, in the movies, he was also able to leverage that into a political career and, and rise to the highest level that you can as a non, you know, American born citizen. And so, um, that is why I admire him so much, just the, the dedication. Um, and he, I listened to his six rules for success every morning for about five or six months before I quit my mm. job. Uh, because I needed to, like, it was like my daily motivation. I listened to that every Sleep day. faster. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so the process uh, was was kind of just trying to figure out, you know, what 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 can I possibly offer Arnold, right? What can I what can I give him, right? And it's not money, <laughs> you know what I mean? He doesn't need it. Um, but right now he's in legacy mode, and so he is thinking about what his legacy is going to be, you know, on this earth. And so I know that we have a distribution, you know, network and. Uh, my value to him, or at least what I what I hope to do, and we're going to be doing something really enormous later this year, which I'm very excited about, um, with all of the facilities um, that even work with us or don't work with us uh, for charity. But um, but that charity was really his. That's where his heart is right now, and it kind of has been in his life, but definitely now that he's in his in his later in his second half, um, charity is really where his heart is, and so that's that's kind of the. I feel like angles makes it sound like more manipulative because um, it, it, it didn't come from. No, there. I think uh, it's strategic. It was, yeah. How can I, how can I find something that this guy could possibly want from me? And so, you know, first it's just showing that you're legitimate. So, you know, we donated um, a few hundred thousand dollars and, and that kind of, at least you're like, okay, these guys aren't, you know, just charlatans. <laughs> um, and then we were invited to the, uh, the, his poker, his poker tournament, his house. And then they had a silent auction at the very end. They said, would anyone you know, be willing to give $10,000? And then people raised their hand. Would anyone be willing $100,000? And people raised their hand. And they said, would anyone be willing to give $100,000? And so we raised our hand. And so um, we donated a million dollars to the charity at the event um, a few months ago. And um, we had met three times before that um, at different donor events. And I'd always had three, four minutes, you know, just to chat with him. And if you want to talk about having 100% of your attention focused on one human being, the, those three to four minutes, I feel like lasted two hours of like, okay, what did he mean by what he said when he said this? And did he have a tonality? And he probably didn't even care. Yeah. Didn't even... That's so good. <laughs> Alex, Alex what, do you, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how do I say this as fast as possible without losing his attention? <laughs> and so, um, you know, little by little, uh, he's definitely the type of person that, uh, and rightfully so, everyone always wants things from him. And so I tried to go there asking really nothing um, because I realized that trying to get a book forward was kind of silly. Um, and so I kind of abandoned that and was just like, well, I just kind of just want to, I just want to know him. And I know that if I'm 
if I'm in if I'm in that room and I'm, I'm trusted, I will be able to provide significantly more value. Um, and that's ultimately what what we've been able to do and what we will be doing an enormous charity drive across all of our gyms um, in December. So it'll, it'll be really exciting and we have some amazing prizes and it, it'll be awesome. But that's and hopefully it'll be a yearly thing so we can actually drive more donations than anyone, um, you know, to help kids and help them get fed and be safe. And his particular um, nonprofit is the After School All Stars. Yes, and for me, that's particular. Like, it's not just because it's Arnold, but I was I had a teacher who stayed with me after school when I was in high school uh, for an entire year, and he worked out with me every day when I was when I was just a freshman, and he didn't know me from anyone. Um, but he was like, "You should work out. You've got the genes." And I said, "I was like, I I don't know how." And he said, "You know, come with me after school. I'll show you." And so he actually basically personal trained me for a whole year. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't pay him or anything and he just, he just paid it forward. And so I feel like this is, and that, that, the, the giving, the giving active, and the, the guy's name was Steve Gibbons, ironically, um, giving active, Mr. Gibbons, uh, has definitely compounded. <laughs> um, and now, you know, millions of people through the facilities that we help, um, get in shape and whatnot through the, you know, the, the selfless act of one person. And so where we can give back to the cause. And it's a perfect transition. So this show is all about, yeah, we're going to bring on very successful people, but then we're going to talk about other areas of their life because I have this contention that what does it mean to build a $50 million business if you lose your body in the process and you're struggling with overweight and chronic disease or you lose your marriage in the process, your faith in the process. So let's transition. Um, You're hyper-focused on the body portion and the health portion what does that look like for you? What are your current goals? Uh, are you going to continue to grow at an alarming rate and step on stage? Like, what are, what are you, uh, what you're doing right now for yourself? <laughs> yeah. um, well, if I, if I can take one step back to what you were, to, to the question, mm-hmm. of like, how do you, how do you do all these things? Right. Um, I think that I've ascribed or like we've, I've lived my life in a balance of seasons and it's oscillating between two, two kind of modes of operating. One is MED, so minimum effective dose, and the other one is MRV, just maximum recoverable volume. And so one is kind of maximizing returns far past the point of diminishing returns. And the other one is how little can I do to get as much as I can from it. And so um, depending on, so I'm not in MRV in every single one of the aspects of my life at all times. It's, I'm not, I'm not, but I don't, I don't allow myself to lose ground when I'm focusing on the other areas. And so it's kind of like Warren Buffett's, the first two rules of investing are said, don't lose money, mm-hmm. right? And then never forget rule number one. <laughs> um, kind of the same thing is like, don't lose, don't take steps backwards. And so uh, with regards to like fitness, I'm not always in go mode. Um, right now I am I am in go mode because Dr. Cashy moved to Austin and so he and I work out together every day. And so that's that, that's been a huge boost for me to just have a workout partner every day and it holds me accountable and we and I enjoy his company and so we, I don't try and cut my workouts short or anything like that. I, I plan for them and they're booked and, and, and then we have dinner afterwards and it's very nice. Um, so I get a lot of enjoyment from that. Um, so in terms of body goals, I'm in a, I'm in a, a maximum, uh, gaining as much muscle as I can mode right now. But there, were, there was a season after the summit where for probably four, four months, basically when we were going through this whole restructuring between January and end of April, so it was like a 12 to 16 week period, uh, I was, I was working more than I've ever worked in my entire life. And so I was purely on, I'm going to work out two days a week, hit the body parts. I can three sets, which is just enough to maintain contractile tissue. Um, and that was it because I knew everything that I needed to do. Um, I haven't been an ascriber to like, well, if, you know, if I, if I don't work out, I don't feel as good all day. Like I can work without working out. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> I don't feel like I lose focus. Um, but did you that, say two that, days? That's the honest truth. It's you. And I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's minimum effective mm-hmm. dose in order to maintain muscle mass. You know, I'm just, just doing enough to maintain. Um, and, and the reason you I, did that is because you were super compensating because you needed to be hands on yeah. on the business phase. Exactly. I mean, and it was 100% hands on. But I would say in that on the on the business side, at that point, I was completely in MRV, like all all the way in doing the equivalent of, you know, 90 minutes a day, two a days, <laughs> if it was, a, you know, if we were doing a physical comparison um, for, on the, on the business side at that point, um, way past the point of diminishing returns, because I just needed to, to, to manage this transition as best I could. 
Okay. So with uh, body, you can't see this because you're on listeners, you're on the podcast, but I mean, you are extremely muscular. So what are you weighing these days? What is your body fat and what are you, what are you hoping to get to? I'm 235 in the morning. Um, and I'm, I'm probably 8% right now. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty big right now. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'd like to get to, so my original goal is to get to 250 speaking with Dr. Cashy Moore. He's like, I would rather you just stay here and then us train together for another 12 weeks and you just be at 6% at 235. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, that's, that's kind of what I've adjusted it to. I might get to 240 just because I like cookies. Um, but, <laughs> but that's, that's, pro- that's what my goal is right now. Okay. And so staying in that type of shape though, how, whether it's MRV or you're, you know, just maintaining how do you feel like that helps you be more successful as a leader, especially in this industry? Um, I would I would be lying if I didn't like if I were in a different industry. I don't think I would train as hard as I do. Um, I think that, and it might just be me personally. Um, I think that being at the helm of a community of gym owners who are typically you'd say more in shape than most people <laughs> by a long shot, um, I have to demonstrate expertise, even with the psychological fall- fallacy that's associated with it. So, you know, Dan Kennedy talks about how having the black pinstripe suit always, you know, you always get treated better and get better respect when you're on stage. I think within the audience that we have, having, you know, 19 inch arms and sub sub 10% body fat will get you is the same as the pinstripe suit. Even though what I'm talking about might be not at all related to fitness, the, um, the expertise or the authority associated with the expertise that is visibly demonstrated carries over. Couldn't agree more. Um, I've got a picture of us after you worked out in my garage and I don't know if it's, I think it's the angle. Like I actually don't look that much smaller than you. So I'm probably going to use that for promoting the show because I look like I'm the same size and I'm clearly not. I'm a good 35, 40 pounds less. So just, uh, when you see it, don't be alarmed. We, we actually almost look the same size. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't even know what I was. When was that? We worked out. Let's see. That was October maybe two Octobers ago or was that one October? No, that was just last October. Yeah. So, last October, yeah, so was, I was, I just, I, my cut finished in uh, August. And so I had just started putting weight back on. I was probably two fifteen to 20 somewhere in there. Okay. So maybe that's why I was only probably 15 pounds less at that yeah. point. But I'm like, wow, I don't look like a shrimp next to <laughs> I'm going to keep this picture. <laughs> All right. So let's transition. Uh, body clearly important. It platforms you as an entrepreneur. Balance. Uh, your relationship with Layla, I know uh, you guys have done a lot of speaking on this and even done modules inside of your coaching program of how important it is uh, to have a rock solid relationship. So talk about that and how that has really allowed you to go zero to 100 the way you guys have. I would say that Layla is probably the, the most underrated uh, contributor to the success of the business. I don't think she gets nearly enough credit. Um, just being very candid. She doesn't, doesn't get enough credit because she also, she herself moves the business forward, but she also eliminates constraints for me in so many ways and allows me to operate in my best space. Um, she also requires very little. And so that's something that I don't know if you can select for that. I mean, I know I selected for that, but if you are already married, then that might be just a longer discussion. Um, but she does not require a lot of attention from me. And so she knows that, you know, when we were, I called it wartime for that 12 to 16 weeks, I, I, I did not see her as much. And even though we lived in the same house and we worked in the same place, I, was, I wasn't even really present um, mentally because I was so consumed with everything that had to get done. Um, but in terms of managing the relationship, I think <laughs> it's going to sound very trite, but uh, having open and honest communication, and that sounds so overused, but I think truly honest communication is extremely hard and it's coming from places that you're ashamed of and admitting things that you aren't proud of in terms of how something small and insignificant make you can make you feel that you would be ashamed that your friends knew that when she looks at some guy or remarks about something on Instagram, it makes you feel bad. You know what I mean? Um, and things like that, that's, that's not actually one that I would struggle with, but I'm saying, things of that nature that would be real, authentic, things that actually drive the conversation. All of a sudden you talk to your partner and their tone changes and you don't know what's going on. You're like, what happened? What did I say? And so um, we, 
we're really deliberate in that. Um, and I think it's because she's really logical, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> and so we've gotten pretty good at the, the, the feedback loop from being angry. Um, in, since we've started our relationship used to be days and then it turned into like a day and then it turned into a few hours. And now it's, it's gotten down to like 30 minutes, you know, of like, neither of us will let the other person like walk away from the conversation if the tone is off. Um, and, and it's kind of addressing those micro discrepancies before they turn into macro discrepancies so that we can kind of fix the loop before it spins up into a huge thing. And I know going through your uh, curriculum on how you guys approach relationship, I thought it was really interesting, uh, very granular, but also very impactful to literally make a list of what do you want out of me? And I think down to, yeah. you know, a foot massage and those things and like really saying what makes you happy. Oh, and I, and I think that things, most, right? I mean, me speaking as a husband, if I, it's like, I feel like most husbands are like, I just want to make her happy. You know, like, what do I need to do? And if, and this is where that open honesty comes from because it will seem needy, but you have to start with the premise of what does a perfect day look like? I'm not saying we're going to do this every day, but if I know what hundred percent on the test looks like, I can do everything in my power to hit as close to hundred as I possibly can. And so then we start stringing these days together that are like, wow, I had two perfect days in a row with Alex. That's awesome. I mean, she would be saying this. And so I, you know, as many of these days in a row that I can string together, then the, the better I feel and the better she feels. And then you, you, you flip a vicious cycle from, to a virtuous cycle. Um, and I think it also buys you a lot of slack, just, you know, forgiveness room. Um, I, I like using the term like round up. Like if there's two ways, you know, if I say something and there's two ways you can take it, I meant the nice one, you know, like, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, round up. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I think that you get, you get more of that benefit of the doubt, the more times in a row you do it, the more consistent you are with it. But that, that single activity changed our marriage. Um, because it was no longer this mystery of like, for her, what does Alex want? And for me, what do I want? And a lot of times there's all these places that we're putting effort and attention to in the relationship that the other person doesn't actually even see benefit from. And I'm sure you've heard the story of the, the husband or the wife who mm -hmm. always gives the ends or saved the ends for the husband. And the husband was always angry about it because he liked the middle, but the wife liked the ends and she was giving the best part to him. And he thought that, you know what I mean? And so it's like this selfless act that is actually you know, pissing this other person off when in fact the entire time, just the, the lack of communication was the, the, the central concept. And so it just as, as, as few times as possible, giving the ends of the bread when, when the person wants the middle, I think is, is kind of the, the play there. And our biggest recurring fight in my own marriage is I think I'm crushing it because I'm doing all the things I think she wants. And yet I look over and she's mad at me and she's like, I just want a hug in the morning. I just want to call in the middle of the day. I just want to know that I matter and you're taking over of the world and all the things that you're doing. Yeah, it's great. You take out the trash and do the dishes, but like, I just need you. So that's where, that's like our biggest recurring fight that I have to work through. I can, like Layla's, Layla's love language is quality time, which mm -hmm. is time is very precious to me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we, my effort in that was that she's like, you know, if we eat together for all of our meals, that'll help me. And so we eat all three of the meals together every day. Um, and that was a huge step in that. That was one big chunk that I was able to help, you know, that I was able to move myself towards the Layla's graces you know, category. Um, but that helped, like little things like that. But I'm with all you. right. So while we're on the subject of balance, do you yeah. guys plan on having kids? You want a big family? I, I feel like at some point you told me you wanted a big family. That's a great, great question. Um, Layla and I have had a lot of discussions about it and, at the current season that we are in, we are not, we are not, not trying, but we are not trying, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so we are letting the chips fall where they may, uh, but we are not at, you know, we're not trying to like see fertilization specialists or any of that stuff, but we are just actively being irresponsible adults. Yeah. So certainly want kids in the future. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Alex, so I'm going to transition here. We talked about business clearly established you as a very successful entrepreneur, someone I look up to immensely talked about your body. Again, look up to that immensely. We talked about your relationship with Layla. You guys are clearly on track. Let's talk about, um, being relationship with God. Like what does that look like in your life in this whole process? Well, and, and for transparency for everyone on here, um, 
Forrest emailed me and was like, how do you want to talk about this? And I said, I'm not really sure because it's been the, it's been the single, you know, it's been the single greatest struggle in my life. Um, I have gone 100%. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was a born again Christian when I was 22, um, and walked away and then came back again when I was 24 and then walked away and then came back again when I was 27. <laughs> and so I have, I have had a significant amount of struggle in this. And I actually, I mean, the amount of, I mean, Forrest knows how obsessive I am with almost all areas of my life. And so the amount of books and literature and, you know, courses on apologetics and defense of faith and the, you know, the, where, where the canon comes from, all of these things are things that I spend an enormous amount of time and energy um, into. And um, I'm currently at, at, a, at a juncture where I've, I've in some ways grown tired of the yo-yo, the back and forth. Um, I can logically, I can, from the apologetic standpoint, I can logic my, my argument <laughs> to why, you know, some of the tenets, I, you know, some of the doubts that I have might be um, illogical. Um, but at the same time, I, there are some foundational lacks of, of belief that have, have permeated. And so that has been my struggle. I, right now it's not my primary focus of attention. And that's mostly because whenever it becomes my attention, all of the other aspects of my life suffer. Um, it's because mm. I, I basically enter into this hole of trying to discover truth and, a lot of the other areas of my life go down because it just it becomes all in, all encompassing for me. So that is that is the where I am at right now with that. So it's not an active okay. attention point for me because of my past history. Well, one of uh, my goals of being in your life is to be a part of that conversation with you at some point, whenever it's right, and you know where I stand, yeah. and will always be a sounding board, and want to encourage you in that direction. I, I always appreciate. It. Okay, so I want to ask you a question. Where do you go from here? What What do you see in the future? I mean, the industry's changing. Uh, your business is exploding. Like, where do you go from here? So I see a future that is not too far away for brick-and-mortar services, um, as we currently know them, uh, in the boutique side to be not necessarily gone, but the profits eroded. And I think they will be replaced by what I'm calling tech-enabled services. And so what it allows the service provider to do in a brick and mortar setting is provide superior value at lower cost, um, operational cost to the, to the business. And so I think that the businesses right now, the gym owners or the, you know, the service providers in a brick and mortar setting who kind of capitalize on that for probably the next you know, three to five years, will see disproportionate profit from their business. And then again, the more it will become more widespread, the more will react. And then there'll be another, you know, another step that comes after that. But if we're looking at historical trends, um, just if you look at from just if we're just looking at group training, since that's where both of us you know live, um, you know, group training went from the fall of personal training because the economy crashed and people didn't have the money, but there's still the personal relationship. And so people went out, you know, personal trainers left the gyms and went and started outdoor, you know, boot camps for $300 a month because it was significantly cheaper than the one on one personal training. And then so they were making great money doing that. And then, you know, there, there was players that entered the marketplace and realized that people wanted air conditioning <laughs> and some better equipment. And so then they were able to transition over and get even more people signed up at still pretty high revenue per customer. Um, but over time, as more players have entered that marketplace, it's become increasingly saturated. The price point has been driven down, although the cost of fulfillment has stayed the same. And so when I see a marketplace like that, it just looks like it's becoming a commodity, uh, just group training as a whole. And especially now that just recently, there's some, some very big players who have entered. Golds has their you know their XFit version that is fifty nine dollars a month. Um, their you know, LA Fitness has an Orange Theory concept they just came out with, and all of these bigger players are entering in the low cost, high volume category. Um, they're providing a service that is more or less comparable to what or superior because they have the resources to make a superior club experience um, to what uh, an independent operator might be able to do. And so I think that our competitive advantage as independent operators um, will exist in our ability to foster and scale one-on-one -on -one relationships. And I think technology will be able to allow us to do that um, so that we can restore the, uh, the value proposition to an end consumer um, while also uh, reestablishing the, the premium uh, value and profit margin that we got in this business to uh, attain.
Well, one of the things I've admired about you, and this was literally from the first phone call we ever had. I can remember getting off the phone. I'm like, wow, this guy, he gets it and he kind of sees where everything's going is you don't settle and you're constantly looking forward on where's, where's everything going and how do I adjust to not only grow my own business, but to grow the 1500 gyms that are, you know, paying you to think about the big picture. So certainly appreciate that uh, about you and your ability to adjust and see into the future. I, I super appreciate it. All of our, all of our incentives are aligned. I, I, we, we all want the same thing. <laughs> well, Alex, I know that you're incredibly busy. I really appreciate you sitting down with us, spending an hour of your day. I've just got one final question and that is the listeners of the show predominantly are married businessmen who really want to grow something uh, big in their life and do it in such a way where they don't lose the other areas of their life. Uh, what would be your biggest recommendation starting from I've got an idea or I've already got a business to really scaling it, growing it and not losing everything in the process? I think having a candid uh, conversation with your spouse about sacrifices and trade-offs. Um, there are like, I think that everyone is given the same 24 hours in every day. And so if you don't have what you want, then it means that you have a deficit in some area. It's typically skill set in the beginning. And so there should be a radical amount of investment, both in time and money. And that's something that you need to have a discussion with your spouse about um, and understanding that you're going to need to learn to acquire skills and you will need to stack multiple of those skills together before you make your first dollar. And setting that expectation on the front end will yield um, probably much more friendly conversations with your wife after the third course you buy and you haven't made a million dollars yet. Um, <laughs> But um, that, I think, from a, from a zero to one standpoint, and then from a one, one to a hundred standpoint, um, it's, it's really being very, very uh, deliberately and regularly auditing your goals and your willingness to trade off for those goals. And so for Layla and I, for example, it's like, is, is this still the goal that we have and if this is the goal that we have, what things do we need to sacrifice in order to achieve that? And are we still willing to make those sacrifices? Basically, just consistently auditing, are these trade-offs that we are making still aligned with how we want to live our life? And I think just having that as a regular cadence in terms of communication is the single best way to make sure that you don't find yourself a year and a half or five years down the road in a place that you don't want to be. Excellent advice. I couldn't agree more. Well, man, uh, how can people follow you? I know you're uh, pretty prolific on social media, or at least some of your staff are. Um, if someone was interested and wanted to follow you, what's the, where's the best place to go? Um, you can go to alexspodcast.com. That's probably the easiest way. If you just like, you know, free content, things like this. Um, if you want, I have a book. It's free. Um, you can pick it up. I, I lose money on every book, so enjoy. Um, <laughs> it's jimlonsecrets.com forward slash book one, the number one. Um, with no space. So jimlonsecrets.com forward slash book one. Um, and that will give you kind of the, ever, all the business constructs on how we applied uh, to the actual gym business. And we use those exact same frameworks on how we scaled our B2B business. The concepts are the same. Um, and so that's probably the best gift I can give from an information standpoint. And it's a great read. We've been through it twice. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, Alex. Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you. All right, thanks for it.